You're listening to a podcast from Genesis Church in Phoenix, Arizona. You can find out more about Genesis Church at genesis-church.com. Thanks for listening. Well, uh, this past week, I had the privilege of spending uh, a week with 300 other pastors and leaders that are from our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, in the um, beautiful, warm city of Chicago. And uh, no, for real, it was so cold. I, at one point, I walked outside, and I, I was overwhelmed by the frigid temperatures. And I'm from Minnesota, so that goes to tell you a little bit. I know, it's crazy how cold it is in Chicago. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, but here's the thing. Apart from all of the frigid temperatures, my time spent there was really hugely beneficial. I was able to uh, connect with other pastors and friends. I was able to listen to some of the leading voices in the church today and spend time dreaming a little bit about the future of our church. And the topics of the conference, it covered everything from racial righteousness to evangelism to reaching the next generation. It gave me lots uh, to think about uh, as we dream about what Genesis wants to look like in the future. And during one of the sessions, the the speaker invited us to have a conversation around the topic that had been discussed at the table that we were sitting at. Now, normally, this is not my jam. Like, group projects, not my thing, right? Uh, I don't know about you. In school, I hated group projects. And so uh, here I was at this table with, you know, three other people. And now I'm told to, like, share my life story with them. I wasn't real comfortable about it. And so I did have the thought, of leave, trying to slip away and, you know, be like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom or something like that. Uh, but something told me, no, just stay. And so I, I stayed. And uh, around the table were uh, <clears throat> three friends. They were friends who all were Filipinos, uh, Filipino-American. And one of them was a church planner in our denomination in the city of Chicago. The other two were sort of exploring our denomination who were pastors in other cities, one being from San Francisco. And so for the better part of 20 minutes, I listened to them tell their story of being second-generation immigrants from the Philippines and their connection with Jesus and the church. And it was fascinating because there wasn't anything like over-the-top shocking about their stories, but I couldn't believe how different their stories were than mine. And yet there was this this unity among us as we discussed our unique stories. Despite the diversity of our stories, the the story of a second generation uh, Filipino in San Francisco is a lot different than a multi-generational white kid from the Twin Cities in Minnesota. But there was one thing that we all agreed upon, and that was Jesus. You know, we, we may approach the story of Jesus in different ways and experience it in different manners, But that story of Jesus, it remained the same for us. There was this kinship around that table, this unity, despite all of the differences of our stories. And so for the rest of our time today, I want you to really be thinking about your story. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, um, that, that could include your experiences that brought you to the decision to follow Jesus and how that has shaped your story over the the months or years that you've been following Jesus. If you're not a believer, if you're not following Jesus, uh, to consider the story of your life 
that's brought you here today. Just allow those images of your life to float through your mind as we go through our passage today. And so, with that in mind, uh, if you haven't already, open up your YouVersion app. And I do encourage you to do this because our passage today is quite long, and so it's going to be uh, great for you, to great help to you to be able to follow along in the YouVersion app. Now, as Joe mentioned earlier, we're in the book of Acts. Uh, we started this at the beginning of the year, and we're just walking our way through this 28-chapter book in the New Testament. And the book of Acts is the sequel to Luke's gospel. Luke wrote both the, Luke, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And it's the story of how the church got started. And so far, we've seen Jesus give his first disciples some instructions, one of which was to wait until the Holy Spirit comes, and then great things are going to happen. They're going to go. They're going to become his witnesses all throughout the known world, starting in Jerusalem. And then last week we looked as the Holy Spirit came and this amazing thing occurred. The spiritual and, and personal and societal, societal barriers are burned as the, social, the Holy Spirit comes and they, they preach this news of Jesus to tens of thousands of people in their native languages who are all in Jerusalem celebrating the festival in, of Pentecost. And in, sh- in shock of what is happening, the people of Jerusalem they start to wonder and ask, what in the world is going on? There's just these random people just sort of walking through the streets, speaking in all of these native languages from around the Roman Empire at the time. And you can imagine the confusion as a group of people walk into the streets and start speaking these languages from around the world. It's so confusing and chaotic that they actually say, these people must just be drunk, right? Like, they got to be like, sipping a little wine if this is what's going to be happening right now, which is where we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 2. There's all this confusion. People are in awe of what's going on. Many people think these people are drunk. They don't know what they're talking about. And then it says that Peter steps up to the mic. Verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I love, I love that. I mean, Peter's obviously never tailgated before. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, nine o'clock in the morning, it's pretty early. Verse 16, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And in verse 17, he starts to unpack a prophecy that was given by Joel. And these are the words. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before what great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, so after Peter, right, lets them know they haven't been tailgating all morning, like this is the Holy Spirit that's working in their lives, he quotes this prophet Joel from the Old Testament. And again, the city of Jerusalem at the time is filled with tens of thousands of Jews from all around the known world. They're there to celebrate this annual festival of Pentecost. Some of them have come from areas in Greece, 
Some have come from areas that are now Turkey. Some have come all the way from Africa. And as Jews, they would have known the Old Testament story, the Old Testament scripture. And so Peter uses their story, the Old Testament story, to help them connect the dots with the story of Jesus. The prophet Joel talks about this very moment that's happening right in their midst. He's talking about that very moment hundreds of years prior to it ever happening. It's starting to spark uh, some like ideas in the minds of the Jews listening. And so now that Peter has their attention, he moves on to Jesus. Verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life where death could not keep him in its grip. Now, can we just take note real quick that Peter is not trying to make any friends here. He is letting the people know what really happened to Jesus. Because of Jesus' popularity while on earth, I mean, he was trending across all social media platforms during his time on earth, right? The people in Jerusalem at the time would have known about him. All throughout the known world, he was known. And even if they had never met him before, they had heard stories about them. They knew of his miracles and of his teachings and of his eventual death. But Peter lets them in on the reality that they may not want to hear that it was actually them who nailed Jesus to the cross. Whether they were there or not, they nailed Jesus to the cross. And we're going to get back to that in a minute. But can you imagine the gasps in the crowd when he says, you nailed Jesus to the cross? Me? Dude, I was in Egypt. How did I nail? I didn't have a, I don't even own a hammer, right? Like, I'm not handy. I couldn't do something like that. How did I have anything to do with Jesus' death? Can you hear the mumbling among the people as they try to figure out, what does Peter mean by that? But Peter doesn't stop. He just keeps going in this, and again points back to a portion of the Old Testament. Verse 25. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you'll be, you will fill me with the joy of your presence. He goes on, verse 29, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. I mean, Peter is making his case here. Can you hear him as he's connecting the story of the Old Testament with what's happening, with what happened with, with Jesus, what's happening among the people? He's taking what they know of the story of Israel and he's connecting those dots to what is happening. And Peter is saying, listen, this is no joke. This happened, what Joel and David talked about hundreds of years 
prior. It has happened. Jesus lived. Jesus died. And you can search, but he isn't in a grave. Because, verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. He says, listen, all these people that are speaking your language, me, my, my, the other 11 uh, apostles here, we saw him. He, he died. He was buried. We thought all was lost. And then he reappeared to us, resurrected from the dead. We, all of us, encountered the living Jesus, verse 33, now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. He says, listen, all this, this isn't, we've not been drinking, you know, bush light in the back right now. We, we, this is the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Verse 34, for David himself never ascended into heaven Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. So let's just recap for a second. Peter is saying, listen, Jesus lived among you. He walked this earth, and he performed miracles, and he taught about the kingdom of God, and he taught about who he is. And Jesus was crucified, and he was buried. Jesus was then raised to life, proving himself as the Messiah, the chosen one to save all people. Peter says, look, you want to know the real story about Jesus? This is the real story about Jesus. You've heard a lot of different things. You've heard that he was a prophet, you heard that he was a scam. You've heard that he's a lunatic. This is the real story of Jesus. It's the story of God come to earth as a human to live among us. It's the story of the Son of God teaching and showing love and compassion to all people regardless of status or race. It's the story of the Messiah allowing our sin to nail him to the cross get what Peter means there? It was our sin that nailed him to the cross. He allowed that to happen so that we would experience forgiveness. It's the story of our Lord raising from the dead so that our stories would bring hope and meaning and purpose in our world. Peter says, this is a real story. You've heard all these myths and all these, you know, different renditions of who Jesus was and what he did, this is the real story. And keep in mind, the people listening to these words from Peter are coming from all different places and experiences. They are ethnically different, linguistically different, socially different, economically different. They eat different foods and they work different jobs. Some have more privilege in society, others have less. They have different levels of education. They are different in their political views. This is a group of people who in so many ways is as diverse as they come. Imagine for a minute, okay, that we had a festival in Phoenix and we invited the world to Phoenix. That would be one of the most diverse communities ever. 
It's about to happen on Thursday, by the way, in the Olympics. It's a diverse, this is like as diverse as it gets for Jerusalem. And so what does the Spirit do in the midst of all of these people and all their differences and all their diversity and all their different stories? What does He do? The Spirit uses Peter, a former fisherman from the middle of nowhere with a story of his own to tell people the one thing, the one thing that brings them together. He tells them the story of Jesus because the story of Jesus is the great unifier. Into the incredible diversity of this crowd of people, Peter gives them Jesus because Jesus is the great unifier. You know, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit and how it's in the business of breaking barriers, spiritual Personal societal barriers are burned up when the Holy Spirit moves. And all of it is made possible because of the story of Jesus. Because of Jesus, not only does your story matter, but it is essential to the well-being and the health of the church community. Your story and my story and the story of the person on your left and your right, they matter And when the story of Jesus is at the center of all of our stories, it brings us together in a way that nothing else can. No philosophy, no political system, no economic system can bring us together in the way that the story of Jesus can. From the very beginning, the church chose to focus on what unified them, not what separated them. You know, they kept coming back to the story over and over and over again. Uh, they, they, they shared communion together to remind them that they're unified in the story of Jesus. They sang songs to reinforce their faith and unity. They cared for each other as a way of living out their unity in the story of Jesus. And when division began to form, we will see it happen throughout the book of Acts. They just come back to the story of Jesus. Because the story of Jesus is the great unifier. Now I want to be very clear about something. The story of Jesus does not eliminate diversity. Instead, it celebrates it. The story of Jesus doesn't exist to make all people the same. Instead, it exists to allow our stories to be honored in the context of the church community. In the book of Revelation, we're given this picture, this vision of what the church should and will one day look like. And here's what John writes in the vision that he sees of the future someday in heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. He says, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Harkens back to what we just read, doesn't it? Peter sees a vast crowd of people from every tribe and nation and language. And it's standing in front of the throne before the Lord, uh, the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hand, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne from the Lamb. Now notice it doesn't say. They all looked and acted and talked and voted and dressed 
and experience life all the same. Instead, it says they come from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They came united and equal with their stories in hand to be unified in the midst of their diversity. This is what's happening on Pentecost. Jesus is cutting through the divisions. He's allowing people to recognize that their diversity matters, their story matters, and that when it's unified in Jesus, amazing things begin to happen. Can we just get real for a minute? We're going to, whether you want me to or not. We are living in a day and age where division is the expectation. We are divided in so many ways, it's hard to count. Cultural polarization is at an all-time high in our country. You name it, we will find a way to divide on it. I got made fun of on a golf course for playing ping golf clubs once because everybody else was playing tailor-made. Really? Like, that's, that's what we know. That's how we live in this world. You name it, we'll find a way to divide on it. And unfortunately, that's true in the world, but it's not a whole lot better in our churches. Instead of embracing our differences and diversity, we, over the last century, have created homogenous communities where everyone acts and looks and does the same. And we're comfortable with that. And this should cause us to lament and to repent We should be saddened by the fact that the church is one of the most segregated communities in our nation. And I don't just mean racially, though that is true, but also politically and economically. People will not go to certain churches because they don't make enough money and they don't feel comfortable there. That's a division. That's that's not the unity that Jesus intended for us to be as a community. We should be saddened that an overwhelming opinion of those outside of the church is that we're judgmental of them. That should sadden us and cause us to repent and say, what have we done wrong? That the people who need the story of Jesus more than anyone, we're causing them to feel like their story doesn't matter. We should be in lament and repent of this. We should repent that we have not sought to celebrate the various stories of people, and unify ourselves under the story of Jesus. You know what? Here's the saddest part. When we don't celebrate diversity in the stories of people, we miss out. We miss out on learning from one another. We miss out on serving each other more fully. We miss out on connecting with people who can help us through tough times. We miss out. And the beauty of the kingdom of God. Listen, I don't know how else to say this, but if you don't like diversity, you're really not going to like heaven. You're not going to like it. Here's the thing, though, and I want you to hear this. This is from the bottom of my heart. Our story. Just the the small story here at Genesis Church. It is not over. We, we We may not get everything right But it doesn't mean that we can't lament and repent and learn and grow to be a community that celebrates and honors the stories of all people. We have an opportunity 
to be fully unified under the story of Jesus, to watch people come into our, our community whose stories are different than ours and honor them and celebrate them and lift them up and allow them to be part of this beautiful community. We have an opportunity to become a community of people where regardless of the story, encountering the living Jesus and experiencing the beauty of a diverse community is something that we seek after. And we can be a community where the next generation flocks to the church because they know their stories matter. This is one of the major hang-ups for the next generation coming up. Is it the church? I mean, you, they don't really care about diversity that much. Sitting and talking with my Filipino friends in Chicago, you know, I was in awe of the differences of our lives, and it just, it made me grateful because there was this unity among us that can only be explained by the story of Jesus. And, and I believe that when applied pro appropriately, it allows us to learn from one another and love one another in ways we wouldn't other be able to. So this morning, I just, I want you to hear this. That no matter who you are, no matter where you have been, your story matters. In all of its uniqueness and diversity, it matters. No matter who you are, where you come from, or what you have done, it matters. It matters to Jesus, and it matters to us. That, that, that first moment when Peter speaks to this incredibly diverse community, one of or group of people, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is communicating is that the divisions are being broken down. We are unifying under the story of Jesus with all of the beauty of the diversity of our stories, no matter what it might be. You see, there is only one thing that will allow you to fully be alive in the story that your life is writing. The story of Jesus is the only thing that will allow you to experience freedom from your sin and shame and security in the story of your life, even in the darkest moments and toughest spots. And the church, from the very beginning, was a place where the story of Jesus takes our stories and brings them together into a beautiful picture of God's intention for humanity. That we would come together and sing his praises as one, respecting and honoring who we are and where we come from and the stories that he has written with our lives, being unified under the one name, the one place that we can find true unity, and that is in the name of Jesus. So as you think over your life, the story that has been written, I want you to celebrate that. There's nothing wrong with that story. God, God loves that story that you've written with your life. And he wants to redeem it and he wants to shape it for a greater future. But, but then as you think about that as well, I want you to think about the people in your world and remember that as much as God loves your story, he loves theirs too. And that he wants to unify us into a community of people that look a whole lot different and have different experiences. But when we come together, 
We are the witnesses of Jesus in our city, in our state, in our nation. Let's pray. God, I I just want to thank you for the way in which you cut through the division of the world that's severely divided on so many fronts. Lord, that no matter what we've been through, where we come from, we come to you, the, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, in the same manner, broken humans, in need of healing and restoration. And God, I pray worldwide, but especially right here at this church, that when, when we do that, when others come and they experience it, that they would find a community of people who love them, every part of who they are, their story, their diversity, their differences. This would be a safe place where people are unified under the name of Jesus. And God, we repent today of the ways in which we've caused whatever division might be happening within our church or in the world. We repent of that. We lament that, God. And we ask that you would change our hearts. You would change our minds to see the stories of every person in this world in the same way that you see them. That we would be unified under the name of Jesus and that through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that people would find healing and love and compassion and mercy and grace in the community that you formed, that we would be a place where people would find a safety and security in who they are, that we would go and be your witnesses in our workplaces and in our schools and in our gyms and in our grocery stores and in our neighborhoods, God, that we would be a unified community of diversity and difference of story that would tell your story in this world through the way in which we live. We love you, Jesus. We love your story. We ask that you would walk into this room right now. That you would change our hearts and our minds. That you would shape us. That you would break down whatever barriers are holding us back from greater unity with each other and with the people in our lives. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.